Good morning. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> I was this close to getting through the cold and flu season without it. Somehow my wife got it, and somehow I got it from her. I'm not sure how. But I think that may be where it came from. One of the things that I don't like about this kind, not only you having to hear this kind of voice, but I don't get to sing. And that last song before we sang this morning was like a little glimpse of heaven. Every so often, at least once a year, we want to give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse of what goes on here at Community Alliance. Now, most of you may know that. Some of you may not. Most of the time, you see it on Sunday morning. You wonder what goes on behind the scenes. And every year, one time a year, we try to show you a glimpse of what God is doing in so many different ministries around the church so that you can join with us in prayer, so that you can encourage us, pray with us, for us, support it, be a part of it. And we'll talk even more about that next Sunday morning. But you've got one more next week that we want to share with you. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything. One of the statements that Connie said in that particular video was that every child mattered. And I want you to understand that clearly. From conception on, every child matters. And I want you to understand that here at Community Alliance Church. Movie Unplanned was out last week. It's out now. It was on Friday night in a couple of other theaters locally and some as well. I want to encourage you to come, go, and support it. Uh, it's rated R. No one said something to me about that, but I do want to make sure that you're clearly aware of that. What fascinates me about that is a couple of things. I've seen the advertisement for PG-13 movies that I would never send my child to, and they're only PG-13. This is rated R because it shows graphically what abortion does, and that's for that reason. But it also intrigues me that they seemingly do not want teenagers to see it, and that's who really needs to understand the consequences of some of the decisions. So I do encourage you to support it. Also want you to look up, uh, focus on the Family Equality Act. Look it up when you get home and be aware of some of the changes that may come as a result of that. If you're in a serious relationship, want to know what it takes to have one last forever, tonight is a premarital seminar. You can sign up still this morning, but you've got to do it right after the service because the online is closed. Just helps us know how many to set up for so that we can be prepared for tonight from 6 to 8 also encourage you to pray that I have a voice that lasts from 6 to 8. I'm pretty sure I will. I hope you enjoyed last Sunday morning. I mean, listening to Jim and Kathy Sapia from the Green Mountains was fascinating. Not only because of their style, the interaction between the two of them was incredible. Their ability to communicate their passion for what it is they're doing, their passion for the people who are lost without Jesus was exceptional, but their ability to cross back and forth between one another was unbelievable. Our international workers, about 700 of them in 60 countries around the world in the Christian Missionary Alliance, clearly understand what we shared a couple of weeks ago, the cost of the call to discipleship and following Christ. They recognize what it's going to entail. They recognize what it's going to cost them emotionally and relationally and every other way. They clearly understand that, and they love what they're doing. When I began to think about that, I wanted to ask you a question to think with me for a moment as an intro into the sermon this morning that just has not left my mind for the last couple of weeks, and even more specifically last Sunday morning when we were done sharing. The question is this, why would they do that? I mean, have you ever wondered why would they do that? Why would they go halfway around the world to a somewhat isolated country, to a place that they have to have some creative access to get into, try to learn another language with the difficulty of just being able in my world to speak English, let alone to learn Thai when they were in Thailand and another language in where they're at right now? 
What would make them want to do that? Halfway around the world, change their life, change their family, take their family with them, raise them in a difficult environment. Why? Well, I'm sure you would answer. Their obedience to the call of Christ. Jesus said, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for the last 137 years, the Christian Missionary Alliance has joined with thousands prior to that in doing just that, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, not keeping it for ourselves, but spreading it around, not just to our friends and neighbors in Butler, not to those in Pittsburgh, not to those in the United States, but around the world. So your answer would be, we're just obedient to Christ. We want to take the gospel everywhere. That's a great answer. If I were to ask you to give me another answer, your answer probably would be, well, we want people to go to heaven. I mean, we really do want people to go to heaven, and that's a great answer as well. This morning, I want to give you another reason, and it's one that we talk very little about. Not only do we want people to find Christ, not only do we want people to find the Jesus that we have found, not only do we want people to go to heaven, we also do not want people to go to hell. And that's a subject we hardly ever talk about. You and I both know, at least I hope you know this, when you die, there's only two choices, right? Heaven for those who embrace Christ, heaven for those who follow Christ, heaven for those who receive Jesus as Savior, and hell for those who reject Him. There are only two options. We believe that heaven is real. We also, your sermon title this morning, believe that hell is real. There's a book titled, Heaven is Real. I think it was a movie entitled, Heaven is Real. We also believe that hell is real, and we very seldom ever talk about it. Jesus gave us an incredible picture of what heaven's going to look like. Matter of fact, he says, you will not believe what God has prepared for those who have loved him. Matter of fact, no eye has ever seen, no mind can even conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and when I come back, I'll take you with me. It will be unbelievable. Songwriter Steve Green years and years ago said, if God created this world in six days and it absolutely can take your breath away, can you imagine what heaven's going like to look like when Jesus has spent 2,000 years preparing that place for you? John, the same author who quotes those verses and words out of John chapter 14, kind of opens up the curtain a little bit more and he paints portraits for us of what revelation looks like and worship and adoration. I mean, you got a glimpse. That song that we sang right before that video this morning gave you an incredible, just a little bit of a taste of what it's going to be like in heaven. I mean, you and I get to sing we get to join with thousands down through the ages. I get to hear whether or not Abraham had a great voice. I hear whether or not Paul had a great voice. I get to join with angels around the globe. I get to join with my dad and my mom and my pap and whoever may have gone on before you. And we get to see them again. And we get to sing and we get to sing with all the power we have. And then he kind of describes it. He gives us these visual pictures in, in 7 and 8 and 11 and 20 and 21 and 22, which is why John said, even so, come Lord Jesus. He was there when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and get you. And now John, when he gets a glimpse of what the future looks like, kind of responds to that statement. Okay, Jesus, even come. Come right now. I want to see that. I really want to see that. But just as honest as Jesus in Scripture is about heaven, he is just as honest about hell. And actually, he talks more about it than any other person in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, he said, enter. 
that narrow gate. The problem is, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and sadly, only a few go there. Pastor Greg Laurie, who I listen to every once in a while, I love listening to him. I think he's on at 1.30 on 88.7. He tells the story of a pastor from Chicago who took a break from the cold and went to Florida to get some warm weather. He left a day earlier than his wife and got ready for her and wanted to send her an email back to say, I'm all ready for you, can't wait to see you. So he did. The problem was his wife had changed her email address. He thought he had it memorized. Unfortunately, he sent an email to an elderly lady whose husband had just died, whose email address was very similar to his wife's. The email went something like this, Dearest wife, just checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) Prepare accordingly. (laughs) To which she fainted. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but for years, the church, evangelical church and other churches like it were accused of too many hellfire and brimstone sermons, too many hellfire and brimstone services. Now, if you have any accusations about that now, I would be surprised because most of the time you find out that hardly anybody talks about it anymore. I mean, when was the last time you heard from here, from me, a hellfire and brimstone message? Anybody remember? Evidently not. It's been a while. And for years, the church was accused of doing it all the time. Now, sadly, the pendulum seemed to have swung the other way where we hardly hear anything about it at all. A couple of weeks ago, I really sensed the Spirit's direction to go this message. I heard Greg Laurie speak on it. Then I got a daily briefing from Colson's worldview that I watch or I read every single day. And it started like this. Does anyone preach on hell anymore? I thought, I am. I got one ready right here. I'm working on it now. This is how he starts. You've got to know that American Christianity has a pendulum, and the pendulum seems to swing back and forth. And it's certainly gone to the opposite extreme of the First Great Awakening when Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, where he compared human beings with spiders dangling by a thread over the fires of judgment upheld by his mercy. Accounts from that time were listeners who clung to the pillars of the church lest they fall through the floor into the lake of fire. Like I said, we usually don't hear sermons like that much anymore. My family background is an unusual mix. It's an unusual mix of Roman Catholicism where I used to go to funerals all the time and I heard them say, because so-and-so was baptized as a baby, they're now in heaven. And then I went to a very non-confrontational Presbyterian church that seemed to teach universalism, which in a sense, do your best, we're all going to heaven, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Both of which are confusing and I believe wrong interpretations of Scripture. Now, do not go home and say, man, you can't believe what Denny Kreisig said today about your church. I don't want you to do that at all. What I want you to hear is the context of the message and understand the love that comes with it and the necessity of understanding the concept that Jesus wants us to clearly grab hold of and utilize as we share life with the people around us. Recently, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins heavily debated in the evangelical world because basically he was throwing out the concept of hell saying God would never do that. That neither is true. One of the tenets of the Christian Missionary Alliance statement of faith 
we're very similar to a lot of other churches. The one thing that holds us together is our statement of faith. And one of the things in that statement of faith says that in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we clearly believe in a literal heaven and we clearly believe in a literal hell. It's a subject we don't talk a lot about, but one that we certainly can't ignore because it's so important for us to understand. Christians, when they die, go to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I leave this body, I'm immediately into the presence of Almighty God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, what about the non-believer? We're going to look at what Jesus has to say. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in a series called Eight Weeks with Jesus. Now, almost every spring, I do that. The amount of material and information that you can take out of the four Gospels to be able to put together a spring series is incredible. There's so many wonderful things that God teaches us and incredible truth that he wants us to understand. And every year I ask the Spirit of God, what are the things that you want me to talk about this year? What are the things you want me to say this year in that series? And obviously he has moved us into some interesting topics a couple of weeks ago and an understanding of communion today and next Sunday morning, one more. So I won't give you a, a spoiler alert, but we're going to deal with one more interesting topic next Sunday morning. It's a difficult subject to deal with. Because we don't want to talk a lot about it. We certainly don't hear many sermons on it. But if you really love the family and friends around you, you've got to want to clearly understand what Scripture has to teach about this subject. If your house was on fire, and I walked by, and I did nothing to help you out, what kind of friend, neighbor, or pastor would I be? I would want to do everything I can to rescue you and save you from the flames and destruction, right? Of course. It's the most loving thing I can do. And as hard as this subject is to address, the most loving thing I can do for you is to share it with you. <coughs> Ecclesiastes, very familiar with how it begins. To everything there is a what? Season. To everything there is a season. A time to be born and a time to, time to be born and a time to die. Hebrews chapter 9, just as people were destined once to die, after that to judgment. Not an in-between space. Not at, well, we'll see what happens, space. Not, we'll try to get them out of their space. It is, a, it is appointed unto man once to die, and right after that, the judgment. 180 people die every minute. I've been preaching for nine minutes. Do the math. 250,000 die almost every day. Enter into eternity. Day after day, day after day, moment after moment, people are dying. Many of them without Jesus. That's why Psalm 90 says, I need you to clearly understand that you're only going to live 70 to 80 years. And if by reason of strength you live longer, I just need you to know you're going to experience some deterioration. Anybody know that's true? That's why he said, I want to number my days so that I can apply my heart's unto wisdom. I don't want to take for granted the life that I've been given. If you know anything about the Old Testament, they lived a long time. 100 years, 150 years, 180 years, 300 years. Methuselah, 969 years. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with Connie at a district event for those going into ministry, and I asked them, who would you love to have a, a meal with? Who would you love to have a conversation with? And Connie said, I'd love to sit down and talk to Methuselah. Live 900, what's it like to live almost a millennial? And this is the question that I would love to ask him. When did you finally feel old? That's a great question. About 900 now, I'm starting to feel little aches and pains. I started to feel those at 50. I mean, my theme song at home is the old gray man just ain't what he used to be. And you know that as well as I do. 
And whether you think you're going to live forever, whether you think you can put it off forever, whether you can tuck it and squeeze it and do whatever you need to do, I'm just telling you, you can put that cream on and all of a sudden it will go away and if I have to watch that commercial one more time. <laughs> Sorry, I rabbit trailed. <laughs> I'm just telling you, we're going to die. And it's appointed unto man once to die and after that to judgment. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm in no hurry. But I am absolutely certain that when I leave this world, I'm going to go to heaven. And i got to believe if you ask your friends and neighbors, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Most of them would say yes. The Scripture teaches the opposite. As a matter of fact, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many or most seem to go that way. And small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Some of us use the word hell when we get mad at people's driving skills and want them to go there. Sometimes we use... <laughs> I have a lot of police officers that are friends, and one of my questions to them all the time is, what on earth made you give them a driver's license? And they said, it's not us. It's the Department of Transportation. We have nothing to do with it. We use the word to describe a bad day, but to Jesus, it is a real place, and he talks about it all the time. Matter of fact, more than any other New Testament writer, he talks about that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he said, look, you've got to be careful how you talk to people. You can't say things like you fool, and the context of that is much deeper than just that word. You'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Verse 29, to the same chapter, if your right eye causes you to stumble, take it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Do not be afraid, in chapter 10, of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul, you better be afraid of the one who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. So many stories of Jesus all the way through. This is one I want to look at this morning. It's in Luke chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, I know it's going to be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it and, uh, or, or iPhone, iPad, whatever you, whatever you look at. It's a story that Jesus tells. He often speaks in parables. I honestly don't think this is one of them. I think it's a story of two literal men. In verse 19, he said, There was a rich man, dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. Right at his gate was laid. In other words, somebody brought him there and laid him there because he wanted to get something. He, it was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell or Hades. He was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. This is a story about two people, one who seemed to have it all and lost everything and one who seemed to have nothing and ultimately inherited everything. Before Jesus rises from the dead, people who died go to Abraham's bosom. It's the reason he's sharing this story prior to his death and resurrection. It's a place of comfort. After Christ's resurrection, they go to heaven. It's often referred to in Scripture as the first resurrection of the saints. Two places, one goes after death. One, a place of comfort. Two, a place of torment. Or as Greg Lowry says, smoking and non-smoking. The story is about a believer and a non-believer, the afterlife for both. 
Now, the rich man, is. you need to clearly understand, the rich man is not in hell because he's rich. He is there because he had absolutely no room for anyone else but himself. And death for both of them became the great equalizer. Doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have, the one thing that we all have in common is that we're all going to die. The beggar dies in verse 22. The time came for the beggar and died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. I love that phrase. A lot of us in the room had family members who maybe have recently died. And I love how he phrases that. Carry them away into Abraham's bosom. I believe he still does that. I think sometimes when you walk through a death with a family member, it's one of the most difficult experiences you'll have. And many of you have done that, I'm sure, on a regular basis. I've said to you before, now that I've been here this long, I'm no longer doing funeral for people who just sit in a pew. I'm doing funerals for friends. And that wonderful, beautiful little phrase there that Jesus just kind of paints, maybe just that little bit of a portrait that he said, look, I want you to know I'm there. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. And I love that little glimpse that he gives us here. Maybe I'm just only pointing it out for one or two of you here this morning. But I love, I love that little glimpse that he gives us of the angels carrying them away into heaven. At the, half, the last half of chapter uh, 16, verse 22, the rich man dies. He also died and was buried, came to a place of torment. Said what I read to you a moment ago, if somehow Lazarus could come and just put a tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Abraham replied, son, remember in your lifetime you received a lot of good things, Lazarus not. He's now comforted and you're in agony. Without Jesus, you obviously see what happens. And besides all this, in verse 26, there's a great chasm between us that is set in place. So that the one who wants to go from here can't, nor anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Lazarus, I beg you, go back to my family. Hell's a real place. Place of torment, place of suffering. He asked for him to go to five brothers and let him warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. There's a great chasm between the two. We do not believe in soul sleep, along that, purgatory, or reincarnation. There is appointed unto man once to die, after that to judgment. Some people will say, well, I'll sort it out then. It's too late. You can't do that. You can't change your destination even in a plane in mid-flight. Whatever you bought the ticket for, that's where you're going to land. You buy a ticket leaving Pittsburgh, headed to Chicago, you can't somehow go up to the pilot and say, do you mind just go ahead and taking me to Hawaii? I really don't want to go to Chicago after all. I heard it's cold. There's a storm there. I heard Hawaii is nice. Do you mind changing plans? Do you mind changing direction? Do you really think the pilot would say, great idea? Number one, you can't even get to the pilot anymore. You can't change your destination once it's already been made. You can't change your destination once you're already there. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You will also notice in verse 22, you're aware of where you are. There's no parties in hell. I hear that all the time. I'm going, I'm going to have a party. There's none. If somehow somebody could come and just dip the tip of their finger and cool my tongue, If somebody would just send somebody to talk to my family, the answer was they already have had that. They had Moses. They had the prophets. Let them listen to them. Some will say, I just didn't know. 
And God will say, yeah, you did. Matter of fact, you've had 2,000 years. Matter of fact, the first three chapters of Romans say, look, I've given you every opportunity under the sun. I've revealed myself in creation. I've revealed myself in humanity. I've revealed myself over and over and over again. You had every opportunity. Can you imagine him saying this 2,000 years ago, what he would say today? You've had every opportunity. So you can't say your friends, I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, if somebody could come back from the dead, Jesus said, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, you really think they'll can be convinced if somebody rises from the dead? And then what's fascinating is that Jesus did exactly that. He rose from the dead. He did what this rich man wanted, and still people refuse to listen. The story is hard to hear. It may not even seem very loving, but... To be honest with you, if we really, really do love people, we've got to be able to share the truth. And if I love you, which I say I do, I want you to know the truth. And I want you to know why it's so important that we not only share the gospel because it's a command of Jesus, not only do we share the gospel because we want people around the world to hear, not only do we share the gospel because we want people to go to heaven, we share what we have found in Jesus because we don't want them to go to that type of destruction. Jude chapter 1, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to finally bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others as much as you can by snatching them from the fire of hell. Love tells the truth. Love warns people. This message this morning is good news. It may not sound like it, but it's good news for a couple of reasons. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is incredible news because I'm not going there. When I die, I get to go to heaven. When I die, I get to see Jesus. Because I know Christ, I get to enjoy everything that he promised me over and over and over again. When I die, I know he's even going to be with me at the point of death. And then he's going to usher me into heaven and I will sing a song like we sang this morning forever and I'll enjoy it for all time. This is good news. And this is also good news because you and I have something to share We have something to say. We have something to give to people who are in an incredibly confused world, wondering how it's going to end. We know, and we have the answer, and we want to be able to share it. As a believer, I don't want to go to this place that he describes here in Luke 16, but I also want to make sure that everyone I know doesn't go there either. So we need to share our faith as often as we can. For some It may feel like, okay, to do that, you got to push me out of my comfort zone. But if we're really honest and look at the whole picture, it's not as hard as what we think it is and even more critical that we do. I've watched a young man grow up here. His name is Roman Bargo. And I literally, I've watched him literally grow up from a little boy to an incredibly gifted, wonderful young man that he is today. A couple of weeks ago, we were sharing this and I heard him respond to this particular conversation, and I said, would you mind telling the congregation on Sunday morning that same story? He said, I'd love to. You watch. My name is Roman Bargo. I've been coming to CAC for about 20 years now. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. One of the things that I've been working on um, when we joined a small group, I was challenged by Pastor Denny to, to step out of the boundaries. And I really, I've had a lot of conversations with people 
and I wanted to take it further and not just get stuck. He gave me a booklet on how to, how to share your faith without an argument. And it's very simple, very straightforward. You need to ask questions and listen. Um, this isn't about being preachy. You need to have conversations, let people be comfortable. Bring up the Bible. Everything we believe is through the Bible. So bring up verses, allow them to read it, ask them what they say it means, and listen to them. You know, allow them to ask questions that maybe they don't understand or you don't understand the answer to. That's okay. It's all about sharing your relationship with Christ and not a religion. Too many people, it's too easy to get wrapped up in that fact. But at the end of the day, people witnessing your, your Christianity and being an imitator of Christ goes miles beyond anything else that you can do in the words you can say. We are just a willing and dynamic aspect of this puzzle. So when I say willing, you know, we have to be um, engaging and accept the fact that this is what God has called us to do and dynamic in realizing the fact that it's constantly changing. We have to be flexible with who we're talking to, what our situation is, and, and be able to adjust and just understand God's bigger picture. Sharing your faith, is, it's difficult in any aspect. From one side, I work in a manufacturing facility and it's very tough to share your faith when, when there is no God, it feels like, any day. You, you just feel like this really dim flashlight in the darkness, but that can make just as big a difference as if you know, you're with a lot of Christians and you're spending that time and you're a floodlight. So it's just so important to every single day in every aspect of your life to share your faith. And on the whole other side, it's very difficult with friends and family. You feel like they see right through you. They know every deep and dark place that you've been into and what you've done. Um, but, the, but you also you care so much about those people. And it's just as important to share your faith with those people. At the end of the day, we may not be walking through each door with these people, but maybe we're the person that's opening it up. One of the most important phrases I've learned in all of this is we're responsible to, not responsible for. We're not responsible for saving every single person individually. This is, we have to trust in God, accept that He has a bigger factor in all of this. And once you understand that bigger picture, it becomes a lot easier each and every day to go out and see the little opportunities, take advantage of, um, and being aware of it. And then as you grow and become more comfortable, then these conversations become easier and they go further and you're sharing the gospel and you're sharing scripture and you're asking them and you're praying with them. And all of us collectively need to learn how to take those small steps and then grow and become better and better and practice at it. It's one thing for me to tell you that you need to do that, that we need to do that, that I need to do that. This is, again, part of who we are as an individual follower of Jesus. I want to share my faith. I'm not responsible to answer all of their questions. I may not know all their questions. They're going to ask me something about the Bible that I won't know an answer to. People ask me stuff about the Bible I don't know all the answers to. Don't ever let those be excuses. Let them just simply be opportunities to be able to say, I don't want my family and friends to end up like this. I want to be able to share with them what I found about Jesus. God sends no one to hell. No one. They choose that by rejecting Jesus. 2 Peter verse 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of returning, as some would see slowness. Instead, he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to find what you and I have found in Jesus. And in so many cases, he just simply uses us as the vessel to be able to share the truth that we have found in love, in love, in love, in love, and to tell them what we know about Jesus, to save them from that eternal destruction.
Now, one of the questions that I'm always asked is, what about my family and friends who've already died? I constantly go back, and I know that's one of the hardest parts about hearing a message like this. I constantly go back to the first three chapters of Romans where it says God will make the decision based on what they have done with what they've seen or how he has revealed himself to them and what they have done with that revelation. I also have learned that I don't answer for God. He knows exactly where they are at the point of their death. What I do know is I want to make sure that I do everything I possibly can to share what I have found in Jesus. It doesn't have to include all this information. It just simply is a motivation this morning as I share it to be able to say, I want to show the love of Jesus to the people who I know don't have that yet. And I've got a reason behind it, even if I don't tell them why I'm doing that. A few weeks ago, I said to you, we're going to have a couple of crosses on the wall over here, and you'll see just they're getting in the process of being started and going that direction. One on this side will just simply say, praying for those who need Jesus. And over here, celebrating with those who found him. Or just be two places of, of a visual, vivid reminder, a, a, a discreet, as discreet as we know how, for you to just simply during worship at some point over the next few weeks, and I'll explain it later as we actually do it, for you to put a name of a person. So we walk in here on a Sunday morning and say, man, there's some people we're praying for. There's some people that we'd love to see find Jesus. We all have that. We know that. But sometimes we need that visual reminder of why it's so important that we pray they find Christ. And another visual reminder of why it's so wonderful to celebrate what they have found in Jesus. It's a great, great message that we don't want to ignore. We want to use this motivation to share what we've found in Jesus. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you for your love and grace. I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for the way you portray so many wonderful things in Scripture and so many difficult aspects of Scripture as well and so many different aspects of the future. And so I ask in the name of Jesus, I got to believe that every single one of us in the room have a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor that we would love to see find what we have found in Jesus. We don't want to see them lead this world to eternal destruction. We want to see them to find faith, in Christ and to learn, to know, and to grow, and to be a part of this eternal family. So motivate us to get a, a little push out of our comfort zone to share what we have found about Jesus, because we know it will change their lives forever. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention this morning. Uh, if you want me to pray for you, I would be happy to do that, but you definitely may not want what I got. So uh, otherwise, I'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you. Have a next Sunday morning great day.